Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today I'm talking to Jennifer Geary, author of two books, How to Be a Chief Risk Officer and How to Be a Chief Operating Officer. Jennifer is a senior executive with over 25 years experience in the finance, technology, risk and legal sectors, as well as non-profit organisations. She is also a mentor to emerging startup businesses. Jennifer has poured all of her wisdom and experience gained from working across so many sectors into her two books. And I was really keen to get her on the show to talk about what are the roles of a chief operating officer and a chief risk officer and how that relates to an SME business. That dynamic between a founder and a COO can be a challenging one. There are so many factors involved, not least of which are deciding when you need a COO and how to get the right one. As Jennifer says, a lot of that boils down to having self-awareness about the things that you're good at and the things you're not so good at and finding the right fit of personalities. But as I'm sure many of us out there will attest, it's not as simple as it may sound. We also have a great discussion around the role of a chief risk officer and skill behind navigating that delicate balance between minimising risk without stifling development. Jennifer then speaks very eloquently about the personal resilience she's gained through years of shouldering the enormous responsibility and pressures that have come with her roles as both COO and CRO. For anyone wanting to understand these roles better and are wondering whether you need either or both, this conversation will answer just about any questions you might have. Please enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Hello, Warren. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you as a guest. We're going to explore uh, the roles of a chief operating officer and the role of a chief risk officer in this episode. You're the author of two books, How to Be a Chief Risk Officer is the most recent release, and also How to Be the Chief Operating Officer. So clearly lots of knowledge. And looking at your CV and kind of backstory, some strong roles there, both in corporate life and in the charitable sector and I'm sure we'll lean on some of that during the course of our conversation but really want to get into it as to how perhaps those roles do apply in the SME you know owner-managed business role but I suppose first let's should we define the two roles so what is the role of a chief operating officer and what is the role of a chief uh, risk officer Jennifer? 
Uh, okay, let's get straight in. So, of course, the first thing to say is that these roles do vary and they vary across depending on the sector that you work in and the size of your organization. So uh, I, I can give a general overview and then, of course, things can be, be tailored to individual situations. But um, a chief operating officer, as the name suggests, uh, is responsible for the running of the operations of an organization. And I'll define that in a second. You're quite often the second in command of the organization. So the sort of the number two to the chief executive. And when I set out to write the book, I counted 16 disciplines that can fall uh, under the role of COO and uh, and basically wrote a chapter on each. That's what formed the backbone of the book. And even when I did that, I had people come back to me and say, oh, you forgot research and development or you forgot that or, you know, there, there was other areas as well. But the main categories that I cover in the book are areas like operations, HR, human resources, finance, legal compliance, supply chain, internal and external communications, uh, safeguarding, uh, and that's not 16 because a couple have gone out of my mind, but essentially, yeah, and, you know, and, and obviously all the customer servicing side of the business as well. The role can be as different um, as as the CEO, uh, COO interplay. And I think that's something that I touch on in there, which is, you know, the, the, a COO role doesn't exist standalone at all. You're often there to provide backup or provide skills and expertise to, to kind of complement the CEO and also to complement their personality. So the, you know, there's a standard set of things that can be included under the role. And then, uh, and then obviously it depends after that, depending on the situation. And the role of a chief risk officer? Yeah, chief risk officer is probably a little more consistent, uh, consistently defined. The chief risk officer heads up what they call the second line of defense uh, in, in an organization. That's quite a technical term. It's well understood in financial services and some regulated industries. But basically what it says is that if you're in operations, if you're the COO, you are taking care of running the business, you are doing the things that the organization needs to do. The chief risk officer acts as a little bit of a counter, um, a foil to that, somebody to provide some oversight, um, some knowledge of the risk um, environment, and also to kind of challenge those front office areas, those first line areas to say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Uh, you know, there's a new regulation here. There's a risk come out there. Um, are you really as solid in that area as you thought that you might be? It's very well understood, as I say, in some of the regulated industries. But, you know, I, I have done the role both in very large organizations, large scale banks. I've been in the risk function of large scale banks. And then I've also been CRO of very, very small um, startup, you know, fintech challenger bank uh, and had to build the operation out from there. So it can apply in a number of situations. Fantastic. And out of those two roles, clearly the one I think that applies more to the kind of SME business and, and that owner-managed business is that role of the COO. So we'd like to just explore that further with you because actually a couple of things of what you said kind of come into play, doesn't it? And it's, well, I think one of the challenges with a founder, you know, a, the start in that kind of business, high growth, ambitious growth startup is the founder does everything. They are the yep. MD, CEO, COO, you know, every, you know, chief bottle washer, everything. <laughs> but there comes a time and a need where they need to release some of that. And probably the natural release is to employ somebody that number two, you know, that mm -hmm. COO, as you, you kind of describe. But I suppose the question is, if that dynamic between you know, the number one and the number two is so important. How do you get that dynamic 
to really work and in your mm. you know real life experiences have you got any stories that you would relate to yeah sure um and yeah there's two things there isn't there there's kind of like when do i need a coo and then how do i know i'm going to get yeah. the right the right fit for me so I, I i advise quite a lot of companies and organizations uh and uh it yeah i'm, I'm talking to a number at the moment who are just at that sort of that cusp that tipping point you know you've got a founder and a small team you know if it's software it's you know developers or um you know uh whatever your business line is and, and you're hitting that point of uh, of success you're hitting that point of scale perhaps you're taking on some investment and you can afford now to broaden your team and you're starting to think you know you've got you've got an idea you've got something that that's showing really good signs of working but now you're going to need to scale it in a way that you never have before and also as a ceo uh you're you're probably thinking about the stakeholder group that you have to manage the outward facing aspect of your organization the brand the presence all that kind of thing and you just need the operations of the organization to work right you know you need whatever it is customer service order fulfillment you know software delivery whatever those things are they they, they need to they, they need to start working and you as a ceo need to stop worrying about them so um so you know those are some of the indicators that you know that it might be time to kind of start thinking about that role the other thing of course is whatever your kind of founder skill set is and you know if you've already got to that stage, you know, congratulations, you know, you're at this point, you've made a success of something, but you may not have, you, you know, it, nobody has that, that full rounded skill set. So you might want someone, for example, with a backing in finance, right, who can help you, you know, make your, you know, think about your strategic planning, thinking about your budgeting, um, and also the increased formality that comes once you have an investor on board, uh, you know, your profit and loss statements, your cash flow, your projections need to be much more formal than before. Um, so the way to to kind of figure out a match, I suppose, is to be really self-aware about the things that that that, a, that you love doing um, and that you're good at and able to do. And, and then we all have those areas that we feel more shaky on or less certain of. And that should be some of the skill set that you look to buy to buy in. And then, of course, more nebulous than that is, is the personality fit, right? Mm, um, you know, okay. is this a person who gives you energy? Is this a person who makes you feel strong and capable and reassured? Uh, is this a person who is equally prepared to roll their sleeves up and get things done for you? Those are all good signs. You know, if it's a person who who makes you feel worried or de-energized or, um, you know, only puts obstacles in your way and that kind of thing, then, then you know, that's not a good match. So it's 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 such an important pairing to, to get right. And there's obviously no one, a, a great COO for one situation will be the totally wrong COO for another. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because and there's two things that I, I would absolutely agree with, but would also take away from that conversation is, and in part one, it's that place your strengths. So if you are the founder, if you are the CEO of a growing business, then place your strengths. And, you know, the COO role then gets defined to cover the weaknesses and, and to do the things that actually don't motivate you, don't bring you joy in life and all of those things. And I love that this description of, you know, how do you get it to work you know, in that more nebulous kind of piece, as you say, and it's somebody that gives you energy. I mm -hmm. love that, you know, and, mm -hmm. but that's always hard to find, isn't it? And sometimes I suppose it's the relationship builds and you have to work on it. And it's about building trust as well, isn't it? Some of that doesn't always yes. happen overnight. 
Yeah, it, it's it, that trust piece is so important because there will come moments, of course there will, along the journey where you mightn't immediately agree on something or you're both really busy and the other person does something and you don't know why they did it and um you know and 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 there it's got to, there's got to be that that trust between you that you know whatever the person did they like they they're doing it from the right place there's a reason for mm. it uh, let's not overreact you know we'll talk about it in time um yeah you know the the C, the, the founder ceo has got to feel always that the coo has their back is taking care of all the things in the background mm. and and the coo has to believe in the strategic vision of 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 the founder chief exec um to and and you know ultimately believe in and and wholeheartedly want to support the direction that's going brilliant and i suppose that then comes into play is you know what kind of interactions would and in the smaller businesses you've worked with mm. have between kind of ceo and you know the chief exec or the founder in terms of reporting and mm-hmm. you know is there any sort of recommendations that you make there that help build that trust well, initially, of, of course, it comes back to to the strategy, the vision, you know, the the reason for you know the company, the product, the service, whatever it is, and 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 having a really clear shared vision for where that's going to go and and what the steps are that are going to need to to achieve that success. And a COO can be very helpful in working with the CEO on that to say, okay, I hear it, I'm excited by it, but let me help you break it down. Let me help you take that, you know, three, five year goal and let's talk about, you know, the steps that are that are going to be needed to mm. get there. So that's obviously the first and almost, you know, m- you know, most important fundamental conversation about about, you know, where where you jointly want to take this as well. Shared values, you know, belief on culture, mm. you know, if you're at the point of. To, you know, you're, you're taking people on, you're, you're espousing values and stuff. Those have to be really, really well shared. But then after that, you know, if that's there and that trust is there, as long as you're agreeing on the goals, in my experience, the best relationships are the one where you can kind of a little bit leave each other to it then. You know, the, that, that, you know, the CEO says, right, like you understand my vision for, for people, for process, for technology, for, you know, our, our cust- you know how we're going to face off to customers, all that sort of thing. You know, go, go do it, go execute. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to find new customers and I'm going to talk, you know, to the press and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to be that public face. And, and when you have that, that kind of trust and, those, and, those, and that delineation, it's enormously empowering then and then obviously it's for it's for the two of you to figure out what your um what your cadence is of meeting how often you check in with each other what things you you, you want to see um so you know i can you know one of one of uh, you know I, I can think of a really good relationship i had um with with one chief exec where, where like they were totally happy to be out there front and center you know visiting sites going on doing the interviews safe in the knowledge that i was at home that home on the ranch almost you know that i was kind of yeah. running things and keeping Brilliant. And it's really interesting. I just only as we just have this conversation, I, I kind of reflect on my own journey and, and the journey of building the business tax advisory firm Inspire and mm. before we exited it. And yeah, I mean we you know, me, Andrew Chris is kind of, you know, I suppose public facing, driving the business, growing the business, and me as the founder. Our our world changed actually when we brought in a lady called Bev and she grew into the role and effectively we made her an associate director to drive the op side but Brilliant. she was fulfilling that COO role and it's only now clicked but... <laughs> you <laughs> didn't call it know. that but that's what she was we yeah. didn't call it that and I suppose that's what probably most owner managed SME businesses have got they've got that person driving the business yeah. kind of the external face but who's the internal face who's as you say looking yeah. after the ranch at home looking after the ranch allowing yeah. them to do yeah. that and we had you know 
that great you know five six years as we you know came towards exit of Bev in that role and she was fundamental in us achieving the things we wanted to achieve because you could just I had complete trust you threw things at her and she just got on with it and she'd report back Mm -hmm. to say this is you know here's a red light what do you want me to do but generally yep. was just, if it was green, it was kind of like, I'm just going to get on, going to deal with it. And she had the trust of Andrew, Chris and I to do that. And that probably is exactly what you're describing, isn't it? Exactly right. Exactly right. And as you say, it's so liberating when when everyone knows where those red lines are. They know when they want to get a warning or get a heads up. But otherwise, you can just plow on and plow forward. And and yeah, you know, COO, chief operating officer is a grandiose term. It doesn't apply to every organization. But I think, you know, the essence of it is something that um, I think every organization, when it gets to a certain a certain size, definitely needs. And what did you enjoy so much about fulfilling that COO role? Um Gosh, because <laughs> you've done so that for some really about. large corporates, so it must be a high pressurized environment. Yeah, and to be clear, I've been in the COO function of some very large corporates, and I've then I've been COO of um, of some slightly smaller ones as well. But the okay. um, the let me see, I I think one of the most satisfying things I did, I, I worked for a fintech that was backed by a, a very large bank, and we were literally setting up everything from scratch. You know, the, the 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 reason the reason they wanted to set this up was they wanted to move with more agility and with more speed, but obviously still to bear in mind that you were lending people money, you were regulated, um, and all of the responsibilities that that took. And one of the things I found really satisfying was to take all of the policies and procedures of that big industrial large organization, um, but then translate it down into 30 relatively short, you know, two, three page pithy policy statements that that we could actually use in in a fintech setting. Uh, So it preserved the integrity and the essence and the spirit of all of the things that the larger bank wanted to preserve um, and with its, with its reputation and brand and responsibility, but actually gave us a little bit of agility to move. So it, it, that sounds really nerdy. You know, I set up a policy framework, but it was, but it, for me, it was deeply satisfying because when we had mm. that done, it actually empowered the organization to move and to move really, really quickly. And just put the foot on the gas and grow and do, it, do its thing, I suppose. And okay. one of the other things that interests me, and it probably comes down to that understanding the release of the trust from sort of founder, CEO to a know number two a CRO is that piece around you as you describe the role and it makes complete sense the role is very wide and broad covering you know th- those mm-hmm. variety I think you said 16 different areas and you know like yep. IT and HR and operations and all of those and R&D and all of those kind of things I've only got to four so um, <laughs> <laughs> but how do you deal with needing to have knowledge in all of those different areas surely it just blows your yeah. mind Jennifer that that was Absolutely the challenge. And, and you know, I, I was fortunate and it kind of got through a, you know, a, a kind of, a, you know, by, by, by chance and good luck and right place at the right time, I got initially catapulted into an interim COO role and uh, and then ended up staying and it, and it became, a you know, a, a fuller time role. But and I remember coming to the role and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd had experience in, you know, I'd qualified as a chartered accountant. I had risk. I had some exposure to legal uh, finance and all the kind of thing. And so I, I had, you know, a pretty good grounding. But then 
then I came in and I was like, oh my goodness, you know, look, looking at all these other things that needed to happen. And, you know, the way I dealt with it was, um, first of all, being very upfront about, you know, where I did and didn't have skills, but obviously then voracious research, asking friends, <laughs> digging deep, you know, ask, ask, obviously asking the people, the teams and, and learning my trade uh, as quickly as I could. And and the spur for the book was, you know, in, in for me researching that role, and I was like, where is the book? Like, where is the handbook? I, you know, I, I need, yeah. I want to know the frameworks, I want to know the standards, I want to know the regulation behind all of this. And I sort of had to self find all those things and pull them together. And so I promised myself when I finished that role that I would try and put that together and, and, uh, and, 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 you know, make it available to people. And the lovely thing, that book is, is five years old now. And, um, some things will have moved on, but I would still say on average once a month, I get an email from someone going, thank you so much for that. You really, like, you really helped me. I, it was, you know, that wow. was really helpful. Yeah. Brilliant. And how, I mean, we'll touch on the books, you know, so you wrote your first book in, yeah, five years ago and, and in September released the second book, How to Be a Chief uh, Risk Officer. How have you found writing books? You know, like, what's the experience been of being an yeah. author? Yeah, it, it's not, it's definitely not something I, you know, said I was always going to do or anything like that. And as I say, the first one was born out of an experience of kind of saying, God, there's a gap here, you know, and I think there's a space and I'm going to try it. It, and it's, it's one of those things, it's great to talk about it because you don't know how to do something until you know how to do something. And um, I was able to find there is um, an online uh, self-publishing school, it's called, uh, which I you know, paid to join. And they, they had all sorts of kind of how to's and guides and frameworks on how to get self-published. And, you know, one of the wonderful things about, you know, Amazon and these platforms is there is a platform there for you to self-publish a book. Mm. Um, and there are um, all sorts of marketplaces and places you can go to get a good copy editing done, good cover design, you know, marketing, branding, all, all that kind of thing. So, you know, I didn't know how to do it before before I set off, but, you know, they helped answer my questions and then I, you know, figured out and, you know, you still obviously are completely responsible for the quality mm. of the output, you know, the accuracy and that kind of thing. And that's you and that's your brand. But the help is there to do the things that you don't need to do. And uh, it, th that was a light bulb moment for me to show that, yeah, I, you know, to realize I could do that. Brilliant. And the first one couldn't have been too painful because you wrote the second book. So. <laughs> <laughs> and is it like that? Was it like the difficulty of the second album for a music artist? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my, my husband kept saying, oh, the difficult second album. I was like, stop saying that. Um, it, it was probably a little bit like, 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 like having a baby. You know, when I finished the first one, I was like, I'm never doing that again. And uh, a little bit of time passes. And then and then I was kind of ready for another one. So um, it's I had to treat it as a full time job. Um, I, I couldn't. There's no way I could have had a full time job and then come home in the evening and written for two hours and that kind of thing. Like I, So I was able to do it in, in, in a gap between between roles. And uh, and I tr kind of treat it like a job, but, you know, sit down at your desk at, you know, 8, 30, mm -hmm. 9, whatever it is, cup of coffee, right, you know, sit. And um, and even when you're, and, and the other thing is when you structure your thoughts, you know, I said 16 disciplines. When I started the risk book, I had a very clear idea in my mind for how I wanted mm -hmm. to break down the different aspects of risk. And that framework is honestly half the battle. Once I, I, I said both times, once I'd written the table of contents, I knew the book would get written. Because it, it's then, I mean, I'm simplifying it, but it's then almost filling in yeah, the gaps, definitely. you know, the kind of way that like you know what each chapter is going to be about. You just have to write 
20 essays on you know each particular topic but it's some days you don't you don't feel it you've got no idea what you're going to say but you still sit down and you and you start and you start writing and you start typing um somebody said uh liz gilbert said uh the author of eat pray love said it's like clearing your throat you know sometimes the first paragraph or two you write is going to be absolute rubbish and you won't use it but you're clearing your throat and you're getting started and then eventually something comes then you find your voice definitely Mm. so as we talk about you know that second book we should probably talk about risk and how that maybe you know managing risk applies within an organization and again perhaps how that relates to a sort of SME and an owner managed business I suppose my first question around that CRO role and undertaking that within any organization is how do you do that without how do you kind of manage risk Mm. without stifling ideas and progress yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you say, even if you don't have that kind of distinct risk function, you you know, you as a founder and you want your people to be not not afraid of, not kind of, you know, in, in a scared into paralysis, but, but, you know, consciously aware of the things that could impact upon your plans and to the extent you can putting in place mitigants to, to, to those risks along the way. Um, and, and that's really what, what the role of, of a CR, like a good CRO is. I think a lot of the time the, the risk area can get a bit of a bad rap. It's seen as, a, mm. you know, the, the department of no. It's seen as the place where people <laughs> yeah. pour cold water on your ideas and tell you all the things that could go wrong and, and all that sort of thing. And certainly having an awareness of potential downsides is, is important. It should be with a view to how you can make something succeed right mm. so um, so you know one of the things I write about is it's really important as a CRO to to believe in the business to believe in the strategy to believe in the success of the venture and to be invested in that success so that when you say well let's just have a think about this let's you know is this right you know what about this and so on people believe that you're doing it from a place of wanting the organization to succeed and and uh, you know again a little bit like what we said about the the red lines and the framework you said it perfectly earlier on if if you can if you can work with the rest of the organization you can say look we can do this as long as you know we can put out pr releases as long as we adhere to these rules um we can lend to this part of the population as long as we have these safeguards in place you know whatever those things are that kind of as long as we can if can actually be very empowering to people because then they know they've got free you know they know they're protected they know they're you know in line with the regulations and that they've got some freedom to operate in that space and then when they get to an area where they're not sure or feeling a little bit you know like they might be getting close that's when you raise your hand and have a conversation so risk should be empowering not um not stifling yeah not stifling that's brilliant and i suppose yeah that's a great description isn't it? it's about knowing what playing field you're on so if you're within an organization what's my playing field where's my boundaries yeah and obviously your kind of risk experience as you've alluded to has been very much in the sort of financial services kind of area how do you think risk management applies to a general product you know business a general services business turning over five million pounds i mean Mm. uh, you know how should they be addressing risk management do you think so, it, oh, gosh, it's, it, it, you know, try, trying to That's answer quite a big general, question. I, I, I'm, I know, immediately, I'm immediately thinking, like, I'm thinking about your business. You know, you said you were offering kind of, um, you know, finance and advice and all that kind of thing. You know, first of all, you've obviously got to know, like, the regulation in the space. So, you know, if you're creating yeah. a product, you've got to know the safety regs. If you're doing services or giving advice, you've got to, you know, know the qualifications from behind that. So, obviously, knowing the legal and regulatory space in which in which you operate is, is key. And if there are quality standards that you need to adhere to, you know, an ISO standard, or whatever it is that you know that's obviously very very important horizon scanning 
and looking at what um, what is going on in the industry, the direction of travel, what people are worrying about, what you know, what the trends are, and so on, is is hugely important. You learn an awful lot by looking at your peer group. And, and, and seeing what's happening there. And then obviously, sometimes looking broader beyond the industry to see is there is there a broader trend as well that could potentially come and, you know, in, infect your part of the world and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's a great, uh, you know, one of the things I offer is sort of just like a pyramid of risks. So you can think about everything from kind of strategy to more operational things, but just as a little bit of an almost checklist in your mind that, you know, every now and again, you should be taking time out to think, you know, have I, have I really thought about this? Has anything changed? Do I need to up my controls in this space you know I've got more volume here now I had a complaint last week whatever it is you know what, what are those things telling you that maybe just need you know, need you to do something to tweak and improve your controls as a result it's great really good practical advice and yeah I like obviously also like that term that kind of horizon scanning because it kind of also in my mind maybe it's the way my mind works that sees well actually how are we going to manage risk and what is coming on the horizon but therefore if you're looking forward you can always also see that where's the opportunity if we can manage this risk better if we could overcome this risk better than anybody else there'd be opportunity wouldn't there absolutely and, and you're right. And we, we don't talk about that enough. You know, we don't talk about the upside risk. Um, and actually, uh, there was a, a great case study I read recently about a COO that saw that there was going to be a huge spike in, I think it might have been semiconductor chips or something like that. And, you know, did did a huge bulk purchase in advance of the problem, secured the price, got the stock on site and averted, you know, six months of supply chain worry and, and increasing prices and that sort of thing. And that sort of, you know, you can either say the risk avoided or opportunity seized, but those, you know, it, it's just as much about that, that kind of forward looking view, that anticipation that I, I'm seeing something here. I think we can take action on that. And and absolutely, there is there is upside risk as well as downside. Definitely. And Obviously, you know, one of the sort of risks that probably none of us really foresaw recently and hate to talk about it, but we've got to talk about it, I suppose, was the pandemic. And what effect do you think the pandemic had on the assessment of risk? And do you think it's accelerated and a better understanding that we need to be able to foresee risk better? I mean, we have had some once in a century type events Mm. take place in the past three years um, which absolutely have, uh, as well as some tech- technological advances that that have changed things. So it, it's been a really interesting time for risk management. So when I think about the day I was working in a fintech, we were a cloud-based company. So all of our technology was in the cloud. Um, and we, um, you know, one afternoon we closed our laptops. We were going to have a trial working from home day the next day. It, this was, at, you know, the beginning, you know, sort of February 2020. Um, and we never came back, right? You know, like we went home that day, and yeah. and then and then we didn't that come back. It. But because because of our technology, um, it was it was pretty seamless. You know, people and you know, tribute to a the technology choices that we had made, but of course the resilience and the ingenuity of the people as well. You know, we forget how how we pivoted and moved to new ways of working so so very quickly. So it it helped us appreciate technology, hybrid ways of working. Uh, and 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 trusting our people and 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 th- that gave us resilience, didn't it? That sort of you know tr- trust in our people and finding new ways of working mm-hmm. gave us resilience. But then you're right; it forced us to be much more resourceful in terms of how we reacted to things. So you know, 
you know, food supply had to be maintained, uh, medical supply had to be maintained, um, restaurants had to pivot overnight to become food supply services with recipe boxes and that kind of mm. thing. Um, so, and, and, and we gained probably a new appreciation for some sort of neglected uh, industries, um, you know, the people who, you know, who kept us safe and who kept us fed and all that kind of thing during that time. And, and of course, you know, since then, it's not like it ended with the pandemic, is it? You know, we, we, you know we've got supply chain issues that we never had before in, in this way. We've got geopolitical risk. We've got, for those of you who work in any kind of financial services sector, you know, we've had really stable, you know, low to zero interest rates. And all of a sudden, you know, they're on the increase. And currency rates are changing. So those of you who trade internationally will, you know, be seeing the impact of the dollar, for example. So it's it's a really interesting time. There's an awful lot going on. And I think the watchword, the, the thing I take away more than anything else is resilience. So and that means, you know, resilience in your supply chain, perhaps not being over reliant on one supplier for something, building that resilience in your people and, you know, those trusting hybrid ways of working, resilience of operations, not not being overly reliant on, on, on any one thing. Uh, that's that's, that's that's the new thing. So rather than kind of, I mean, risk management is still there, but it's about resilience and about maybe preventing those problems happening in the first place. Great. Going to also just want to touch on a bit of your career. And I just want to see what you see the difference was, perhaps, because you've worked in the charitable sector as well as the financial services and corporate sector. You know, what were the mm. unique challenges and differences that you saw working between those different sectors? I mean, are they or are they much and much the same? And it's probably our perception as you know, business leaders that we see a difference in the way in those organisations, mm. you know, you would fulfil the COO or the CRO role in those. Yeah, um, some things the same, so some things different. So, I mean, I, I was I was very fortunate um, to get the opportunity to, to work at Save the Children uh, for a few years. And, um, you know, w- w- one of the things I was happy to see uh, in my early days was, you know, they had reached the end of one strategic period and they, they, they needed a, a sort of a, a new kind of 15-year strategy. Mm-hmm. They needed a, a three-year plan that would hang off of that, you know, with all the things to put in place, all the programs that they wanted to do. They, at the time, needed, uh, you know, a, an upgrade to their finance systems, their HR systems, and they needed a building upgrade. And and I and I remember kind of thinking, I know how to do it. That, that's great. I, like, I, I, I know because I'm on familiar territory. I know how to do these things. Of course, there were lots of things that I didn't know about, and I had to dig really deep and, and, and learn and be humble um, and, and help you know, where I could as well. But I think some of the differences, of course, in the not-for-profit sector, you have to be so ingenious and so resourceful in terms of how you use resources, right? Every, every penny, you don't want to waste a thing. Uh, you, you want to be you know, really, really prudent in, in the management uh, of everything that you you have under you. And sometimes I had a brilliant CTO at the time who used to be able to extract quite a bit of value from his providers because they were a not-for-profit. So, you know, it can it can help yeah, okay. if, you, if you deploy that well. But I think the, the, other, the other big thing was the motivation of the people in the organization. So, you know, people join not-for-profit organizations for, a, a, you know, a, co- a completely different set of reasons than, than, than they get a job in, in the commercial sector. And they, they, they come with a very strong ingrained value set. And I think in the sort of in, in the for-profit space, 
it can be, you know, it's quite an obedient sector. You know, we're getting paid to do a job. We come in and, you know, and largely, you know, kind of do what we're told and that sort of thing. And I had to completely alter my my communication style. I had to I had to really get people invested in the vision, in the why we were doing something, because they're just intrinsically motivated uh, in a very different way. So that was uh, that was a skill I had to pick up. Brilliant. I can yeah, can absolutely kind of see that difference between the two. One, you know, has got that strong reason and why, and that's why people work for those organisations. And yeah, they're more commercially driven kind of world. You you've got to kind of install the why or, or get that collective. Mm team spirit going so as we sort of start to conclude our conversation i suppose one of the questions i've got for you which you know again will be exactly the same as a parallel with a business owner business leader within a uh, within a sort of sme kind of finder is that those roles must have been highly pressurized you know i can only imagine the pressure at times fulfilling some of those roles within your kind of cv and some of those that you've explained on during the course of this conversation so how and you use the word resilience just now how did you make sure you were resilient to that pressure and how did you cope as a human with mm. the pressure that you're under yeah um gosh it's uh, it, it is true uh, there, there is no doubt that that both roles come with a lot of responsibility and at times you know some anxiety you know mm. when you're doing things like managing managing safety in buildings right you know that that's an enormous responsibility when you're dealing with an adverse uh pr event or something like that you know it, it like these these things are extremely challenging and and worrying and i suppose the first thing is and in in both my books i talk a little bit about the personality traits of of a coo cro and it's it, it's helpful to kind of think about like how, how are you going to feel about that you know mm. uh, you know how, how are you how are you going to cope with that how, how are your resources God, I, you know, I think uh, you've got to you've got to look after yourself. You know, all, all of the obvious things in terms of health and balance and rest and um, having having things outside to kind of give you perspective. I think having having a really strong support group, and that isn't just your like partner or spouse who we can sometimes uh, you know really lean on far too much. But you know, if, if you you know a coach, a mentor, someone to sound off with, or you know somebody who's in the same space as you and can relate to some of the challenges mm. that you have as well. It's really helpful to, you know, to be able to, to, to kind of bounce, you know, bounce those things um, off somebody else. So, you know, and and just, you know, remembering why you came to that role in the first place, remembering everything that's great about that role and showing up with energy, even on the tough days, I think um, is uh, it, it is key. Brilliant. A very all-encompassing answer. And, and yeah, and I get all of that. And I suppose that's partly, you know, why Evolve exists, because we see the benefit of putting people in similar situations and like-minded people in a room together and just getting them to share. We talk about sharing their good, their bad and their mad kind of what's going on in the world and then building the rapport with that consistent group of people to provide that support and it does make you know we see the transformation uh, that can make so yeah I suppose my final question um, I'm sure you've listened to some of the uh, podcasts Jennifer so gonna finish with my, my my final question which is what does you know given all of those experiences now taking some time out writing the books mm. you know reflecting on life what does success mean for you <laughs> Gosh, um, I think we're we're living in, in a very changed and changing world. And when I listen to some of your podcasts, Warren, I'm I'm, I'm amazed at the like the ingenuity of the people and and the variety of of the different roles that there are out there and things that we never imagined before. So uh, it's it's that 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 is a moving feast, isn't it? But there is. 
I suppose there's something about and you know it's I'm I'm well you know in in the middle shall we say I'll be complimentary to myself in the middle of my career but I was well along in my career before I maybe stopped and asked myself some of the questions about like you know who am I what are my values mm-hmm. what do, what do I bring to the world and, and 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 then what's the best use of those and I think I suppose success is maybe finding that intersection of something that the world needs right now and something that that you do really well uh, and and get something out of enjoying that and if you can like if you can find that uh, and you know that you're adding value that you're bringing a service or a good or something to the world that that it didn't have before in a different way or you're helping people be better uh, and you're using the best of yourself that probably is the purest expression of success I can think of brilliant love that really good Jennifer, if people want to learn more about you, they want to know where they can get the books, where can they go? Uh, the books are available on Amazon, How to Be a Chief Operating Officer, How to Be a Chief Risk Officer. I'm on a website, www.coo-author.com. Uh, Jennifer Geary, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, would love to keep the conversation going. And, uh, you know, best of luck and all good wishes to all of your listeners and all those founders out there starting new organizations it's fantastic fantastic thank you jennifer for being a great guest on the evolve to succeed podcast thank you thank you for listening to the evolve to succeed podcast my hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable informed and inspired individual and business leader if you enjoyed this episode then please help us by rating reviewing and subscribing we really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes and please don't forget to learn more about evolve by going to evolvemembers.com thank you for listening see you next week